let them take you back to the golden era. Everyone, welcome to episode five of the Golden Era podcast. I'm Jose Gonzalez, joined by my esteemed co-host. First, you know him from CWF Mid Atlantic, Chris Riddle. How are you? I never get near a wrestling ring. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I don't know. That's not what I saw at the Rumble on Saturday. And of course, it just wouldn't be an episode of the Golden Era podcast without the Southern sweetheart from PWX, Chastity Taylor. How are you? I am well. It's always my favorite part of the month to be joined by you two fantastic fellas. I know. Unfortunately, our uh, favorite fourth person, Jake Smith, isn't here. You know, it's kind of busy when you're a new homeowner and ch- got to get your whole China shrine situated, you know. Right. A lot of hard work goes into it. How beautiful that home would be with the wrestling room. Like, Did somebody say, somebody say China? We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Oh, sounds very special. Hmm. All right. But speaking of things that are special, we have to talk about the fact that Chris Riddle... You got into the ring during the Rumble on Saturday night before we had our uh, little podcast this week. What's going on? I don't recall that. I, I, I didn't get into a wrestling ring. What are, you, what are you talking about? I don't know. All I heard was... Uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not been viewed by 10,000 people or anything. I mean, there was a little Kim laughing sigh. There was some half-ass pointing. And then I saw someone take a sit-out face buster and get thrown over the top rope. So Yeah. Funny thing about that is, is try to out-bitch a bitch and it never ends well. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you were endorsed by, what, a two-time Divas champion for a said moment? Yeah, no, you see, I just... Mm, mm. That's far from over is all I'm going to say. All right, so speaking of things that uh, need to be finished, we have to talk about the debut of probably the best finishing move in all of women's wrestling, and all men's wrestling, too. Victoria actually the women's spe- the women's special slap. No, no, no. No. <laughs> no, it's the drop kick or the drop kick off the apron into a steel chair in a hell in a cell. Oh Tre- god, that was actually amazing. That though. was a tremendous match, by the way. I mean, the highlight of the pay per view. You know, I was riding because you know it should have been invented. But see, I don't know why you people complain about everything. If you just do what I do and turn it off at the appropriate time, you don't have to deal with anything else. And here's my thing, like, they didn't advertise a winner for Hell in a Cell, they advertised a Hell in a Cell. Whether you liked it or not, that's your own fucking fault. Wait, what? For Bray Wyatt versus Seth Rollins, which this is the only time we ever talk about men's wrestling that's not involving one of us, they only advertised a Hell in a Cell match. They didn't say if there's going to be a decisive winner. What? what? I mean, I'm just playing like... Chastity, do you want to take this one or do you want me to? I understand Uh, where you guys are coming from, but I'm just saying it didn't flat out say there must be a winner, so they can't say false advertisement. I'm sorry, I I thought the concept of Hell in a Cell usually was there must be a winner. (laughs) I thought it was pretty damn self-explanatory. Well, I think, no, I honestly, I would bite on the idea of 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 a disrupted finish in a sense that, okay, maybe... Um, neither men can continue competing or neither woman can continue competing or, you know, they're both down for a 10 count or, um, they, they stop it due to like blood or something like that. Like I, yeah, like so a no cop- almost dying twice. Right. But I guess what I couldn't get behind is like just the wording and the verbiage of everything just seems like 
they didn't explain it enough. And I feel like in this day and age with social media and the internet at our fingertips, as a fan, we are going, and I say we because I was right there on Twitter with all of my other people last night, madder than a hornet. I feel like you have a right to be upset when you are when your intelligence is undermined. And I feel like in that sense, with that finish between the main event at the Hell in a Cell last night, our intelligence as a wrestling fan, as a stockholder, as like a contributor to the success of that business, our our intelligence was undermined. And I didn't I didn't like that. I didn't like that we were kind of just made out to be fools. Okay, and I see that. So me being the devil's advocate in this case, Chastity, do you think it's because we have some sort of sense of entitlement as fans to see some sort of endgame to a product, especially of that kind of nature? Not necessarily when it comes to, like, the decisiveness. Like, I'm not – I don't think fans were necessarily mad that there wasn't a winner. I think fans were mad that the reasoning that there wasn't a winner – like, we saw through the BS. We saw that they didn't want to put the belt on the fiend, and they didn't want to take the belt off of Seth. So, therefore, it was ruled this, like, DQ, ref stoppage, whatever it was. I, Basically, I think, Seth Rollins got DQ'd for kicking too much ass. I think, like, as wrestling fans, yes, we are extremely entitled. But also, in this day and age, that instant gratification piece that plays a part in all aspects of life, not just as wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Like, we expect that instant decision. And if the decision was there to be no winner, I think that needed to be clearer. And I think it need to, needed to be... Um, it needed to have more sense to it. I mean, honestly, again, like I felt like seven-year-old me would have been just as upset and confused as 25-year-old me, and I would have understood at seven years old, how in the world do you have like a DQ in a hell in a cell? I would have totally bit on, oh, my God, he's bleeding so much, we can't finish yeah. the math. Oh, my God, neither man could get up. This was like crazy. This really was hell in a cell. But then when you've seen the matches in the past, and we've seen – Literally, men come close to dying in there. To stop it over too much aggression or whatever the BS excuse was just seems like that. It seemed like BS. And I, I'm telling you, I was right there on Twitter with everyone else. I was pissed. I was thinking, like, you know, I know exactly where I'll be tuning in on Wednesday night this week for right. sure. All I know is that if you're going to build up two different people but you don't want to ruin whatever momentum either one of them has, I would just rather you not book the match. Right. You can't build either character with this 50-50 booking. And that is something that, like, on a totally different podcast we could talk about in, like, wrestling as a whole. This 50-50 booking of not wanting to, not understanding as a worker or as a fan that just because somebody loses doesn't mean they're any less of a talent or any less of a superstar. It means that somebody has to lose and somebody has to win. That's wrestling. But having these matches where, you know, the babyface is going to go over going to you know, attack them or the heel's going to go over but then the baby face is going to have like their moment of clarity at the end like no that's 50 50 booking and yeah yeah no that's actually a really good point so speaking of someone that had to win and someone had to lose take it back to october 2002 the women's championship is on the line future hall of famer stacy keebler versus another future hall of famer victoria yeah hashtag stacy for hall of fame Oh, God. <laughs> so, I mean, who wants to take the reins of this one? I mean, who can I hand this or uh, who can really nail what happened in this moment? I just remember sitting at home when I was a kid watching the Raw after Survivor Series. And Victoria hitting that move and thinking poor little Stacy was dead. That damn thing. Because not only was the freaking Widow's Peak vicious, but the way Stacy sold the very first one. And Stacy was not, in, you know, a frequent 
in-ring competitor. So for her to take the move like that was insane. And I think just the move itself, it was one of the, like, if you look back at this era and this time for women's wrestling, um, we had finishing, you know, we last, I remember, I think it was our first episode, we really talked about, like, Trish Stratus and Stratus Faction and the chick kick and things like that. And, like, we, we just talked about how it was so simple, but, yeah, she always put her flair on it, like, her, her style. This was vicious. This was brutal. This was aggression. This was, I mean, the fact that these women were taking, like, a full face bump and, like, that's, I don't know, it, it, as, as a former, and I love using that word former now, <laughs> as a former worker, a face bump's hard to do. Like, anytime, I mean, Chris, you 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 and your uh, Bella Bomb, Bella Buster this weekend, like, falling on your butt is one thing, but falling on your face is another. And, like, seeing Victoria do this on such a tall, oh, my God, Stacey's, like, you know, monstrous when it comes to, like, her height and her legs and everything. So hooking that on her just looked like such a vicious, vicious move. And it was the first time that we had seen, like, kind of like that one hit and done that this really could be a move that would finish your opponent. This really is a move that I could see putting someone out completely, covering like covering them one, two, three over. Um, and I think it's awesome that Stacey um, is the first person to have ever taken that. Like, when, when I got the lineup for this episode, I was thinking, really, Stacey was the first one? And... I think that's incredible that she has that kind of accolade to put beside her name, that she was the first one to ever take Victoria's, like, world-famous widow's feet. Have you guys ever heard the story of how Victoria started using the widow's feet? Actually, yes, I have, and I really love the story. Chastity, have you heard it? I have not. What is it? Okay, so basically what happened was, and I love starting stories like that, what happened was is that her and Molly Holly were working out in the ring, I think it was probably before Raw, like getting ready before Survivor Series. So Molly Holly and Victoria are rolling around, and Molly is actually the one that teaches Victoria how to do the Widow's Peak because she saw Roderick Strong do it on the Indies at the time. Although his version was kind of like a straitjacket version of the Widow's Peak, if that makes sense. Right. So Victoria ends up doing the move while they're rolling around in the ring or whatever, and Vince catches it out of the corner of her eye and actually physically like reacts to it, audibly reacts to it. And I think that from that point onwards, that's when it became set in stone, okay, this is what your finish is bound to be. To me, though, the thing was with this, it instantly added credibility to Victoria's character. Like, she's going to do whatever the hell it takes to beat her opponent. Like, that was the missing spark to me that she needed was that big move. Because, I mean, for God's sake, due to a mess-up, she won her first women's title with a snap suplex. Like, so for her to bust this out, and I don't think, I was just thinking in my head, across WWE and TNA, did anybody ever kick out of that move? You know what? I honestly don't think so. I think well, Victoria. Uh, for Victoria's Widow's Peak, not Peyton Royce because she does it complete kind of differently. But did anyone ever kick out of the Widow's Peak? Because I think that's probably the most protected finishing move in mainstream wrestling. Okay, I'm looking. Hmm. Because I remember there was a one tag team match on SmackDown where the Bell Twins broke up a pin, but it wasn't that someone kicked out of it. It's that I think yeah, it was see, that's, breaking that's up different. the pin on Mickey. Yeah. I'm not finding anything yet, but I'll keep looking as the episode progresses and let you know what I find. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You know what it was? I remember this now. So back in uh, January, I was on Empire State Wrestling show. It was Victoria versus Allie. So the way it worked is that the Widow's Peak was uh, done or whatever. The ref was down. 
And I think by the time Victoria was getting ready to go for the cover, Allie rolled her up for a win, but that isn't really kicking out of it. It's just that's that's still not kicking out of the Damn, move, though. That move is so protected, but I love yeah. it. Okay. Also, I found out, like, I just found a little, um, it's on Reddit here, so, like, take that for what you will. But uh, the two most over finishes that nobody has ever kicked out of, the Widow's Peak being number one and the Razor's Edge being number two. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, also, it says that Baron, uh, as of four months ago, The End of Days by Baron Corbin had five years since his debut and no one had ever kicked out. And up until Brock Lesnar, no one had ever kicked out of the jackhammer legitimately. Um, oh, wow. That Hogan had to, but someone missed their cue in the match to break the pin. So um, it seems as though she's got the only female finisher to have never had someone successfully kick out or like kick out. Right, and then I remember we were kind of talking about this last episode, so Chastity, with you being a former wrestler, when you're doing something as impactful as a neckbreaker, you mentioned like how much trust and how much uh, building goes into doing that kind of move safely, so seeing someone as long and as uh, lengthy as Stacey Keebler taking something so impactful right on her neck and her knees, I mean, what does that kind of go through your mind when you're getting ready to prepare for a match like that? Well, I just think like... I I know we'll get to, to Tori later on, but, like, I just, I've heard their, them talk about how little of practice or training they ever got. Like, everything they did was very much, like, on-the-go training. And that Finley would get in the ring with them sometimes the day of show and teach them two or three new moves or setups to do a move in, like, that four or five weeks. Um, so for this, I would be interested to hear Stacy's version or Stacy's side of how many times did she get to practice this move? Because honestly, if you're in the back and someone's describing it to you, even today in 2000, you know, uh, 19, I almost said 15, oh my God, um, 2019, having someone say, okay, I'm going to do a neck breaker. It makes you a little uneasy. Like I, I've said this once before on an episode, one move I refused to take in my entire short lived career was a German suplex. Like I refused. Um, no matter how veteran and successful my opponent, you know, was, I refused to take that move because I personally didn't feel comfortable. You know, it just, it made me nervous. So this, um, I guess because essentially like the, the greatest impact is going on like, you know, her butt, your knees or whatever, but that face bump alone. And then the, the, like, again, with Stacy's legs and stuff, I would be really, really interested to hear her side as to how many times they practice that, or if it was, this is what's going to happen. We're going to set you up. Just, you know, just let me hook you and then you're going to be done. Like, I would just be really interested to hear how many times because I still to this day would be nervous when anyone said, okay, I'm going to give you a neck breaker. It's going to, it's modified this way. It's going to be doing this way. Like, I, that's something you just have to be really careful of. Yeah. yeah because like the clutching and releasing too. I mean, I would yeah, something like that can go wrong so quickly. Um, that can jack somebody's neck up bad if you're not careful. Yeah, but thankfully, Victoria, that was the first of many Widow's Peaks. As devastating as it looks, she would, I would say Victoria's probably one of the people where you think of as uh, extremely safe in the ring. So that was awesome. Not stuff. only that, the name was amazing, too. Oh, like it totally made sense, too. Just like she's physically snapping her opponent like she mentally snapped. Like you couldn't have asked for a more fitting name for a finisher, let alone a fitting finisher for a gimmick like that. Right, and I also have never, ever once thought about this until right now. I literally just Googled, like, Victoria's Widow Peak, Stacey Kubler, and, like, I'm looking at the thumbnails of some of the YouTube videos and stuff, the clips, and I have never once thought about this, but, like, 
the way, you know, the way they get hooked into this is you've got Victoria's got her two feet on the ground and her two arms kind of facing out. And then the opposite mm-hmm. direction, you've got Stacy's arms and her legs. So it really sets up this illusion of, like, the eight legs. So it's that spider, the widow. Oh, yeah. Oh, Never yeah. Got it like that. So, like, the actual illusion that it gives off, the visual perception of a spider and then the snapping. It's really, really fascinating. I have never thought about that until this second. I never thought of that either. I could be way off, but, I mean, it makes sense out loud. So. No, <laughs> like, the layers and layers of that move, like, it's just, I think that's why it's my favorite move. And, like, if I were to ever be brave enough and, like, actually take training seriously, I would want that to be my finisher as an homage. Because I'll go on the record and say it till I'm blue in the face, Victoria's the reason why I'm a wrestling fan. And with her retiring this past year, it kind of solidifies, like, the, I gotta do something. So. That's incredible. I think that's awesome for you. We'll see what happens in the coming years. So Think it over, kid. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm going to have kidding, a more kidding, training kidding. than a commentary gig, but that's besides Shut that. up. Move on. <laughs> I just sip my water there. Um, so, yeah. You know what, Chris? You need to get out of my bag and stop looking through my shit, okay? Excuse me? Calm down, Jackie. Psycho? <laughs> I'll show you Psycho. Oh, my gosh. The greatest promo in Sunday night heat history oh my god chris do you want to take it away so uh victoria is still feuding with trish stratus but at the same time she kind of forms a mini feud with jacqueline who's over on the raw brand we've not seen much from her since the draft besides playing the role of occasional referee i think she had a little bit of some interactions on heat but uh jackie puts herself in the title picture here and ends up pinning victoria at one point and a little feud is created Including a rather infamous backstage segment on Heat, where um, I think there's a lot of stuff said that we can't repeat on this program. <laughs> I'm sure we've said worse on this program, let's be honest. Yeah, kind of Kelly hacked us once. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know uh, Victoria going through Jacqueline's bag, you know, looking at ring gear, hinting at the fact that she could find something that vibrates in the bag. And it kind of sets oh, uh, up... Uh, Jacqueline being Jacqueline being tough as shit and just basically saying I want you tonight and Victoria being the crazy person was thinking it was for the title but Jacqueline reaffirms like nah I just want to kick your ass and that just <laughs> which that makes a lot of sense in storyline I mean it kind of makes sense in shoot too let's be honest Jacqueline was probably one of the hardest hitting people to ever step foot in WWE male or female <laughs> yeah, but I believe that who in reality is going to say that, oh, I don't want your title, I'm just going to kick your ass? I like That always it. bothered me for some reason. Not me, and I'll tell you why. I think back then especially, titles just didn't change hands as often as they did today. So, like, there needed to be a, a sensical reason and, like, more of a like, intrinsic reason to, to want to whoop somebody's ass over, than just, like, oh, they have a title. And I think her saying that made, like, the legitimacy of their feud be like, I don't care about the gold around your waist. I'm here because I just don't freaking like you. Um, and I wish that was more emphasized in today's wrestling, that, like, not everyone has – we have so many championships being defended. I mean, Clash of Champions was, like, a six-hour pay-per-view because every belt in the company was defended, you know, a couple weeks ago. But, like, I think it's important to emphasize the fact that you don't necessarily have to be in a title picture to be in a, in a main event feud or, you know, a main show feud. And I thought that was a really cool line to say, like, your title is not what I'm after. I'm after you. You do have a good point because especially nowadays on the main roster, I'm begging for feuds that aren't necessarily centered around. I want your championship. 
Right. And even half the time when it comes down to a championship match, there's no feud about wanting the championship. It's just kind of, oh, we have a title we need to defend. Here you go. Pretty much. Yeah, so... And then speaking of uh, things that need to be defended, uh, Tori Wilson needed to defend her virtue because uh, little old Don Marie was getting to her daddy. All right, let's talk about what we're here for. <sighs> the so, main event of yes, this episode. Before we really jump in, can I ask you guys this? Did you guys watch the Table for Three that came out a couple months ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, that was Tori Wilson, Carmella, and Mandy Rose? I did not get to watch that yet. I okay. saw most of it, yeah. That was one of my favorite, and I'll tell you, Tori was so emotional because it was filmed WrestleMania weekend right before she went to the Hall of Fame. This was around the time that her father had passed, and they really got to talking about her dad and his um, and his like involvement in, in this storyline and stuff, and she was just telling the funniest stories about her dad, and I wanted to share this one because it was seriously my favorite, and anyone who's listening who knows that I was brought up into wrestling because of my dad, Dean Taylor, the infamous Dean Taylor. The legend. Um, the legend. Um, this is something so dumb that I swear he would have done. But Tori told this hysterical story that uh, her dad was around and um, that they, they even though he was involved in all of this stuff and was getting booked or whatever, they didn't necessarily travel together all the time. That, you know, sometimes she would still ride with the girls or she would go and stay at a hotel with, you know, whomever. Well, she said that at one point um, she had to be at the building way earlier than he did. And so she left him at the hotel. She, you know, whether she took a cab or carpooled or whatever it was, she got to the got to the, the venue and did what she needed to do. And I guess her dad, you know, got left behind and couldn't find a cab or a ride. And Vince McMahon was walking out to his limo. And Tori's dad asked oh, him for a ride. <laughs> and when they got to the venue, her dad came up and was like, uh, yeah, I don't know if he said he called a ride with Vince or if he said I asked Vince for a ride, but Tori was like, you did what? <laughs> like, she said, I felt like a kid, and it was like, bring your father to lunch day or something. Like, you're having to tell him, you don't sit in this person's seat, you don't talk to this person. She was like, I was mortified. <laughs> I thought, for sure, I'm going to be fired. I can't believe my dad just asked Vince McMahon if he could get a ride with him to the freaking venue. Like, what in the hell was he thinking? And she was just so humorous in the way she told the story because it was you know a moment that in the moment I'm sure she hated and was like mortified by but it was such a light and humorous story to talk about with her dad having just passed and she just seemed like that's something she would never forget and I think that's incredible that they had something like this big to share something silly and very like light-hearted but like him being involved in her career for this period of time was so cool to watch and the funny part is that it's probably one of the highlights of Tori's career, too. If you look back at everything she did, I think this storyline is definitely up there with a lot of the things that she's gotten to do. Right. So that whole situation where Al Wilson comes on to SmackDown and Don Marie sort of makes a pass at him kind of sets the tone for the next few months of SmackDown television where you see Don Marie and Tori Wilson just really develop this kind of tumultuous relationship where it's like, I'm being nice to you because my dad's dating you, but you're actually, like, a huge bitch, and I can't stand you to... What the namesake of this episode is, uh, there was a meeting in room 357. Uh, one friend of the show, Aaron Lynch, knows this all too well. Right, Chris? By the way, um, can we talk about how long it took me to track down what the hotel... That is the actual hotel room number in the Armageddon That is impressive. <laughs> 
Oh, that's quite <laughs> We've impressive. We've had this episode for planned for months, and I have forgotten it about four different times and had to go back and look it up while promoting it. Yeah, our friend Aaron um, from the DeviantArt Days actually was in attendance at the uh, infamous Armageddon 2002 segment, so we'll, we'll get to that in a few minutes. The thing that interests me here is, you know, they were these two were kind of feuding beforehand. We talked before they had a match at No Mercy back in October, mm-hmm. and then it kind of cools down a little bit, and boy, does it pick back up when Al Wilson becomes an on-screen character, because good God. So, I live for campy soap opera wrestling storylines, and... This was everything I ever dreamed of. That was very awkward to watch with my parents as a child, but it was everything <laughs> I ever dreamed of. I love this. Just everything about it is so over the top and so extra. And by the way, you have to remember, this is 2002. This is airing on network television on Thursday nights on UPN. Up against Friends and everything like that and doing huge numbers. Uh, I still don't know why this was not even like considered for one of the top ten SmackDown moments because they had a lot of duds in there. Let's call it facts, facts. Like this was prime SmackDown, I think. Even going back to kind of the 2016, like beginning of the brand split, the first or the second time, like Slate Clean Live era, like this is like the good shit. So we kind of have this moment where Dawn Marie is, like, being the fake nice one. She's trying to, like, ensure that she's not going to hurt Al in any way whatsoever. And then leading into Armageddon 2002, uh, we kind of have this segment where Dawn invites Tori to her t- hotel room and kind of tries to s- seduce her and get in her own head, too, which... Oh, 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 no, 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 you, you gotta remember the line. It's, Al's not the, Al's not the only one I'm after. It's you, Tori. <laughs> oh god you just can't write this shit anymore I mean, no 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 i i uh hear the person that did write this is still pretty active these days <laughs> oh god see i know someone that probably wishes they could have wrote something like that that's active nowadays too in a different industry so all i have to say is hey man <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about pal i don't know who who would ever um write controversial storylines revolving a relationship that's the focus of a center of a show that stock, uh, that uh, shocks people. Hmm. I don't know. Huh. Mar- ma- trashy marriages in wrestling? No. <laughs> I don't know. Taking things to the extreme? No, nope. I don't know. Okay. All right. Yep, so that whole scene happened with the... so so we should point out what happens is we only get so much of this on smackdown because they promote it as we can only air so much of this on smackdown but if you tune into the pay-per-view on sunday we'll show you the whole segment 2002 oh, folks this is also around the time that WWE promoted a Girls Gone Wild pay-per-view featuring Tori Wilson. <laughs> and a chair being thrown at her. Was it by Nydia at the time, I think? Oh, God, I forgot about that. I don't know if it was Nydia or was it Stacy, one of the two. A chair being at the Girls Gone Wild? I rem- remember distinctly seeing Tori Wilson like having like a lawn chair thrown at her on stage and like a cat fight ensuing. I can promise you I've never watched the WWE Girls Gone Wild special. 
Oh, I've never seen I, the special. I've just seen the segment, like, somewhere, I think, on Daily Motion years ago. Like, I don't know. Remember we used to always have to go to Daily Motion for the stuff we couldn't find on YouTube before the network? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, abs- I remember that. And good old Daily Motion, home of uh, great wrestling and a lot of softcore porn. You know. Well, <laughs> wow! <laughs> I mean, wow. let's call it what it is. Okay! No, I, I wasn't going to go there, but since you took that route, yeah. apparently we already went down it. I mean, Jesse there was Taylor's some... Over, Jesse Taylor's over here trying to add some class to the program, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm you know? trying. He's a former worker. <laughs> well, let's go on to the workers moment of that uh, pay-per-view. I'm again in 2002. We have a triple threat match for the Women's Championship. Trish Stratus getting her rematch against Victoria, as well as Jacqueline after getting that non-title win. And I guess this is also the same time that Victoria debuts all the things she said as entrance music for 15 oh, seconds. So good. So One of my good. favorite entrance themes ever. So I remember this because they actually did a feature about it on Heat before the pay-per-view. And um, it's so weird to me. It must have been in the work because I feel like Survivor Series would have been the perfect time to debut it. But, uh, yeah, so it debuts Armageddon. This was actually around the time that WWE, they were still using rock music, but it was rock music that was actually charting pretty well. So I know a couple months later they used Bring Me to Life by Evanescence when it was super popular. Um, The Tattoo song had kind of just been released around this time. And, again, this added another big dimension to Victoria's character. I felt... Between the combination of the Widow's Peak and this theme song, this is when you really started to see her come into her own. Yeah, and honestly, we've talked about this, like, between the Widow's Peak and her look and her demeanor in the ring and now the the theme song, it's, like, the most creative, um, like, compilation they put together for a female at this time. Like, she had every dynamic of, or every aspect and dynamic of her character, there was just more into it she wasn't just a girl who came out to wrestle she wasn't just a wrestler she wasn't just anything she had so much development put into her and and time that you can it could have been her i don't know if it was her or if it was just somebody saw something in her but like it just seems like they put so much effort into her and she she took it and ran with it and literally worked it i mean everything about what they gave her fit her to a t it was perfect really I think she came into her own with this because I was watching back old OVW footage within the last few days and she was kind of known as Queen Victoria and was just kind of, she was wrestling, but she was managing a stable mostly and uh, I think the Basham brothers were in there and it was just, she was kind of a background player and then she gets to the main roster and it's full throttle quick. Yeah, she just blooms. So. Yeah, and then you just see everything that she's doing. Like, she, literally within I think two months, she became like a complete package. Like, she was one of the main draws for Raw. Like, regardless of if it was a diva segment or if it was a men's segment, like people wanted to see Victoria because she was just so enamoring. Like, you can't help but to like be drawn to the character work, the ring work, the the whole essence of her gimmick was just flawless at the time. And even going into this match, you kind of see more of the physicality come out because you have people like Jacqueline to work off of, and Trish is starting to get a little more comfortable, build chemistry with both women. And I thought it delivered a really good triple threat match for the time, too. 
And if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is the match where Victoria basically just, like, her entrance music hits and she just runs in and starts beating the hell out of people. Yeah, I haven't seen the match in a a while, but I remember her running down, charging. There was a lot of uh, broken up pins and just, I think it was a kick that ended the match. Like, one of her sabat kicks where it just, like, looks like she takes off Trish's head, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I think... If you're going to throw somebody in there with Trisha and Victoria for a triple threat match, Jackie was a good fit, kind of with that brawling style, fitted in well with what Trisha and Victoria were trying to do with her feud at the time. Definitely. It brought this sense of aggression, but also, like, the triple threat, too. Like, just kind of chiming in on how hard it is to put something like that together. And this one, like, I went back and watched it earlier today, actually. Nothing about this match came off as, like, over-choreographed, over-scripted, or over, like, you know, produced. It just seemed like they were kind of told... You know, here are the key points, but it just looked like the the, the mindset of this match is aggression. Like, that's going to be the theme. We want to make sure that everything you do in here is aggressive and combative. Not se- not just sexy, not just cute, not just, you know, okay, I can throw this one move four times. But it was very much like, let's be hard-hitting. Let's be, let's make it look legit. And I think it's also... No, I just, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, I was kind of thinking about something... It, it, do you ever notice whenever there's a new champion around this time frame that her first feud is normally with Jacqueline? So I think it's kind of a testament to how much faith they had her in the veteran. If you think about it, Trisha's first one was with Jacqueline. Jazz was feuding with her for a little bit when she first won the title. And now Victoria. So kind of a testament to how much they thought of her. Right, absolutely. Right, and I think it's also around this time where uh, Stephen Richards and Victoria start to become a thing on TV, too, and you just see, like, how well that pairing worked out, too. Which, again, was interesting, because I don't know if you guys remember this, um, before Jazz got injured, she was actually being paired with Stephen Richards. Oh, yeah, I do remember that, because I think it was around the time where uh, her and Trish were having, like, these tag matches, these hardcore matches, where it'd be, like, either uh, Bubba Ray or uh, Tommy Dreamer getting involved to help Trish uh, fight off uh, Jazz and Steven Richards. Yeah, so, um, very interesting. I think Victoria and Stevie worked really, I think they played really well off of each other. Um, and Stevie was full game for anything, too. I remember, and we'll talk about this in an upcoming episode. Do you guys remember that Stratisfaction he took at WrestleMania 19? Oh, my he God. He sells that thing like death. Like, it literally looked like he was just, like, his face was literally crushed right into the mat after, like, well, first knocking a steel chair into your own head, because, duh. And then it's just him literally bouncing off the canvas and right out of the ring because it was that impactful. And I know you said we'll talk about this in a later episode, but I think it speaks volumes. And I think the men who get in the ring with women and and make the women look good without overselling or, you know, just overdoing it. I think they deserve a lot of praise back then and today in, you know, whether it be on main shows or indie promotions. Like, I think the men who are willing to get in the ring and sell for a woman, but also give what they've got in return. I'm going to you know, plug one of my best friends, but if you watch Impact right now, Tessa Blanchard is freaking killing it on this intergender stuff, and n- at no point in any match have I watched with her have I thought, oh, he's going easy on her, oh, you know, he's making her look too good, or whatever, like, no, it, it's hard-hitting matches. It's just- I feel like in reality, Tessa would probably be pissed if she thought one of them was. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> oh, it would God. turn into a real quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, but I love that. I think a lot of times some kind of old-timer wrestling fans would say, like, oh, I don't want to see a man in the ring with a woman. But, like, you know, Stephen Richards made it look good. 
everything he ever did when he encountered these these women, he made them look good. He got himself over in the character developments that he needed, and I think that speaks wonders on his talent and his credibility and his inability in the ring or his ability in the ring. Speaking of Tessa Blanchard, me and Chastity Taylor would like to once again remind you that uh, your timelines will be flooded with reunion pictures at the end of November at WrestleCade. You, you know, with the soon-to-be uh, Impact Division champion, you know. Yes. Should be world champion. Just putting it out there. Oh, oh it's only a matter of time. It yeah. is. What a time for intergender wrestling, even nowadays. Like, it's crazy. The last first. Oh my god! And what a first it would be, too. Well, what a first it was at Armageddon 2002. Mm-hmm. When we had the first ever wrestling hotel segment. <laughs> was it the first? Um, that I can think of. I don't think I so. Flair totally had something at a hotel. Who did, Jess? I, I'm sure Flair had something at a hotel before this, right? Yeah, yeah but had... we're talking about we're talking about on the air. Oh, so not a pre-taper. Wait, what? I don't know. I feel like in the Attitude Era, if you had a fucking drive-through wedding chapel, you had to have something in a hotel. Yeah, but nonetheless, this was a little risque. So go ahead, Chris. What were you saying about the hotel? The first time we're addressing a hotel segment on this show. How about that? I like it better. I um am not quite sure how to describe this. The two women made out in the hotel, folks. There we go. Yeah, they did. For a long time. Yeah, and there that's... were these awkward, <laughs> and there was these awkward painting shots to the crowd too. I I hate when they do that. They're like, here's a really long segment. We're gonna cut to people watching it in the arena halfway through. God, WWE before two thousand eight was a mess. In the best just... way. Okay, so so there was a storyline purpose for this. Um, it wasn't just an HLA case. I mean, it was, but the Dom's reasoning was if Tori would spend a night with her, uh, she would no longer go after Al Wilson. Which okay, she's blackmailing her. Storyline sense. So it kind of passes the strata scale as far as uh, this for that. Yes. So there's a little problem though. Don Marie lied. What? Boy, did she lie. So we get past Armageddon in 2002. Not only does Don Marie not break up with Al Wilson, folks, they're getting married. Oh, my gosh. And just while we're on it, I'm sitting here watching these clips. I've got, um, I've got them pulled up right now. Just the trashiness of this scene, like, even before the kiss and everything. You think, like... The cheetah and leopard print, like the animal print um, bedspread, and the the risque like roses and flowers, and just like the sleaziness of this hotel room. But then also the camera work makes it look like it's filming some kind of indie porno or something. Like it's so gross. The way it's I'm pretty being... sure I saw the same setup for a custom once. I'm I'm oh, willing to bet for sure. Like it's just such a raunchy like. Oh, God, I don't know. As embarrassed as Tori talks about some of the things that her dad did, I'm sitting here thinking, like, look at all the things he got to do, too, that, like, I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> it's just I don't weird. Know. Yeah, and then there's this awkwardness of conflicted Tori not wanting to do it during the segment. 
So you go down this weird road, and it's just, uh, it's just one of those segments that's very uncomfortable to watch back in 2019 compared to 2002. Right. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a wedding. Is there anything better in wrestling than a wedding? Ugh, everything? <laughs> if by Isn't everything it? you mean nothing, then yes, you'll be correct. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, what a wedding it was. I don't know. The Triple H Stephanie wrestling divorce was pretty good. Yeah, that was good, too. I don't know. Just something about the whole uh, the whole wedding garb, too, to begin with. Uh, the likes of which we have not seen other than a steel cage involving ODB and Eric Young on Impact. We don't acknowledge that wedding. No, this is a much classier, uh, more wholesome uh, matrimony, if you will. And what does that tell you, folks? (laughs) So Don Marie and Al Wilson, SmackDown 2003, a lovely wedding segment. Wasn't uh, wasn't, uh, King the ordained minister for this segment, Chris? I don't think think so. Were they married by, like, Elvis or something? It was something weird. I don't know. I remember seeing both of them in their underwear. So I, I was going to say, I just remember, I, I couldn't see anybody else after having to see Al Wilson in his underwear. I think I almost turned heterosexual. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Yep, so this happened. No one broke it up, sadly. And yeah, one of the rare wrestling weddings that was not broken up. Yeah, I don't, I mean, of all wedding segments to see its way through, I'm surprised this was the one. <laughs> Yeah, and I want to say, I may be wrong, but I want to say Al told Tori beforehand if she broke it up, like, he would never talk to her again or something like that, so. Yeah, I guess I mean, that kind of makes sense. And I mean, besides Tori, who would break it up, you know, besides anybody watching? I mean, who really cared enough to break it up is a better question. Right, so brain wreck, you just couldn't help but watch. So what I love about this is officially on television after this, Don Marie is now known as Don Marie Dash Wilson. I love shit like that. Stuff like that. <clears throat> BG. And thus, so, welcome to the Marie Wilson era of SmackDown. Yes. Yes. Of the whole two weeks of it. Yep. So, <laughs> let's flip back to Raw for a second because around this time frame. Don, excuse me, uh, should say Raw-wise, Tori Wilson and Victoria are in the ring once again with each other, one-on-one. Well, Tori Wilson uh, wasn't on Raw until 2005, Chris. I think you mean uh, your good friend Trish Stratus. Is that not what I said? That's what I meant to say. I said Trish Stratus. <clears throat> My Trish Stratus! I'm going to pull Mickey James. My good friend Trish Stratus! No, uh, Trish and Victoria have a Chicago street fight which is actually one of my favorite women's wrestling matches ever. Um, It's on Raw in 2003. And honestly, this was the match that Survivor Series 2002 was supposed to be. And it's incredible. And here's my thing. Trish and Victoria actually had quite a few hardcore matches, too. So this one always stood out to me just because of, like, all the different, like, even before Trish could even make her way to the ring, you had Victoria attack her from behind with a pool cue. Which was abused by music video makers for a decade and videos after that. Yeah, God, from start to finish, I don't think there's anything that could have just been 
more needed for this map. It was perfect. And then I just think, like, Chastity, you remember uh, at this time, or actually, no, this was before you were watching live. So, like, going back on it when uh, you were a little bit uh, older, what was it like seeing, like, the physicality that we saw from Survivor Series taking up even another notch or two? Again, I think this was, like, this is an era of, of women's wrestling that gets so underappreciated. We're constantly saying today in 2019 how, oh, women are competing in a hell in a cell. We've never seen such brutality, like, these girls were, you know, wearing next to nothing, hitting each other with, like, pull sticks and pull cues. And, I mean, like, this was this was crazy. Um, and it was these women that you didn't necessarily take as seriously uh, off air. You kind of looked at them as, okay, there's yeah, they're fitness models. Yeah, they're really beautiful. But, you know, they're not tough. They're just acting, you know. But this is when they really started stepping up and saying, like, no, like, they're they're badass, too. Right, and I think it's also the fact that, like, we talk about all the different elements that go into this match where you have, like, those very high-risk spots of not only Trish cracking Victoria in the head with two trash can lids, but the whole finish of the match is Trish is going for a stratisfaction. Victoria throws her over the top rope, and she land, she goes face-first into the barricade. And this is after she's already gone face-first into, like, serving trays, into trash cans, where it just shows, like, Trish Stratus made everything look like death. Yeah, she did. Oh, my God. Probably, I would say, I think she even kind of tooted her own horn on this, but, like, I don't think anyone face-bumped, like, Trish. To this day, I don't think anyone did. Like, on the same topic, how many nose surgeries do you think she had throughout wrestling? Gosh, we'll talk about this in a future episode. Remember the Judgment Day bump out of the ring? Oh, my God. She literally lost a tooth. Yeah, there were so many of them where she literally got hurt. So I don't I just feel like from everything about this match just felt like the women's title was the hottest thing that night. I mean, not only is it a Chicago street fight where you have one of the hottest crowds in all of wrestling, it's just these women beat the hell out of each other. And then that kind of finished where then I think Stevie and Victoria kind of rolled Trish back in the ring, gave her a few more licks. And then while Trish is coming too, you see Jazz come down the ramp and make her return after nine months on the shelf of an ACL injury. And, and Trish's-, Trish's reaction when she looks up and she sees a ghost from her past. Oh, this is genius the way they did this. So her facial reaction here is probably the greatest I've ever seen her do. So she's just gotten the the crap beat out of her. She gets up to leave, and she looks up, and she basically goes, what the hell? And Jazz immediately stomps her and starts beating the living crap out of her. And Jazz had been gone, like you said, at this point for, I think, since April? Late April? Yeah, it was about nine months. Just to clarify, Jazz, I know she was out with an injury. Did she get injured in the ring in a match? I feel like it might have been probably at a house show, because I don't remember her being injured on TV. Yeah, I don't think it was on television. But it was in a match, correct? Uh, no, I'm not sure. I okay. assume it would be. I'm going to do some research real quick. Because Lita's was on Dark Angel, and then I feel like I remember hearing about Jazz's like a couple weeks after that. Yeah, I feel like it would have to be in a match or something like that, but... Yeah, I mean, literally, Trisha's face told the whole story of, like, I just got my ass whipped. I need to get out of the, what the fuck are you doing here? And then the DDTs, the chicken wings, the ST, everything that Jazz was doing, like, 
you couldn't help but to feel for Trish even more, especially after going through a grueling hardcore style matchup to literally having the air being choked out of her by a bigger, stronger woman. Right. Okay, just to confirm, it doesn't say that it happened in a match, but it does say that it was a pre-existing injury that she had injured her knee in college while playing basketball. Okay, so, so it it's probably aggravated them. Yeah, I'm sure wrestling played a, a part in it. But um, I was—I guess what I was going to say is, at this time, you know, it wasn't, of course, the internet wasn't at our fingertips, but, like, it wasn't very common to know that that people were getting injured and were, were on the shelf for, for months at a time, especially a woman being injured from wrestling and being out of action for so long and coming back to such a hellacious feud, like, instantaneously was incredible, too, for this time, you know? Oh my god, and being thrown right back into the top of the division as well, too, because this was, not to jump the gun, but this would lead into WrestleMania 19, and probably one of the best WrestleMania women's matches of that era, probably, it definitely still holds up today. Definitely. And then going from uh, the lows of Trish Stratus' psychological and physical well-being to uh, one of the lows of, uh, well, Tori Wilson's uh, SmackDown endeavors... Guys, Al Wilson passed away. Oh my goodness! Hey, the first. Hey time. Siri, play. Uh, hey Siri, play six a.m. funeral. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, oh, this may be my favorite segment in wrestling history. Yeah, I don't. I think uh, well. I feel like watching this back now. If I were Tori, I would just be like mad as hell that we did this. Well, no, no, of course, now, now, it's awful, but, mm, well, okay, at the time, but, so here's the thing, Jose, would you like to explain how he died in kayfabe? Uh, yeah, so, uh, poor old Al Wilson, may he rest in peace, well, the first and second time. Well, let's just say, a long story short, it lasted longer than four hours and he couldn't consult a doctor. Which is so, like, it. I, you know, going back and watching this, I'm so glad I was not watching live at this time because I would have hated to ask my dad, oh, my God, what happened to Tori's daddy? Like, God, that's not a conversation I wanted to have as a child. So we should point out that clips uh, were shown throughout the show of their honeymoon. Right. And their Vegas suite, which coincidentally looked increasingly similar to the hotel room that Tori and Dawn were in previously. Uh, yeah, clearly then, Dawn has a type. Yeah. So I specifically remember this getting to the main event of SmackDown and then uh, Tori and Dawn getting out of the shower and back into bed. And uh, Dawn rolling over and goes, again, Al. And Al goes, again. And Dawn goes, yes, Al. Again. And then suddenly, a few minutes later, Mr. Wilson was no longer with us. And he could not be revived. And that was the end of the episode of SmackDown. This is how the show, on UPN, on network television, signed off. Right. So classy. So, it's very rare, legitimately, in kayfabe, like you have an actual storyline full-on death in kayfabe like you'll have people written out you'll have them just disappear you'll have them buried in concrete and barely survive but uh it's very rare that you get an actual death in kayfabe 
But again, like back then, the internet was not at our fingertips. Instagram was not a thing. Like, you know, it. Of course, we knew he didn't actually die, but it was so easy for them to, you know, kill him off and us never see him again and never really think about him again. What do you mean he didn't really die? They put the graphic up the next week, Chas. I know, and you know, rest yeah. in peace, blah blah blah. You know the one kayfabe death that actually remained kayfabe in WWE television. That's true. Yeah, we're not talking about that time in 2007. That was a dark time for everything, but yeah. We don't talk about that here. Um, So, the next week on SmackDown, uh, throughout the night, Don Marie opens the show after a recap of previous events and uh, announces to the world that she, as the proprietor of the Wilson estate, is going to present the public viewing of Al Wilson throughout the show. So, throughout the episode of SmackDown, we cut to segments at the funeral parlor, not hosted by Paul Bearer, where uh, Don Marie and her uh, Al's friends and family are paying their respects to that late Al Wilson, who has an open casket. Now, can we talk about for a second, legitimately, how damn annoying it must have been for Al Wilson to have to lay still that whole damn time? Oh, my God. Oh I my went God. Today and I was like, oh god, what if she kisses like what's supposed to be the corpse? Like, surely she's not going to. Surely she's not going to. I was so nervous going back watching that day that that's what was going to happen. Oh god, what a segment that turned out to be over the course of that episode of SmackDown. And of course, you get to uh, probably the apex of all of SmackDown's 20 year history. Tori Wilson mourning the loss of her father, uh, casket side. And then just. Probably one of the best brawls I've ever seen on television ensues. May may I recap this, y'all? This this is my favorite part of the show. The floor job. is <clears throat> Mr. Riddle. Thank you. So follow me on Twitter at Chris Riddle. So uh, Tori walks in, and everybody's aghast that she showed up, but no more so than her mother-in-law, Don Marie Wilson. So Tori walks up to the casket, much to Don's mis- dismay. Again, this is an open casket. So Tori takes a knee and gets down, and she's sobbing. Look at her dad in the casket, going, I'm so sorry, Daddy. I love you. This is all my fault. And, you know, so on and so forth. So Dawn is just pissed. How dare she show up here? And da-da-da-da-da. And she looks at Tori and goes, you know whose fault it is? This is your fault, Tori. And she goes on about how, uh, she didn't love her father, and she didn't give a damn about her father because her father just wanted to be with Dawn. And if she cared about her father, she would have just let him be happy. And you, Tori, you killed your father. So, Tori, which is really, really, really weird to watch back now, by the way. Um, so, Dawn, in the middle of the funeral home, slaps her daughter-in-law. Or stepdaughter, I should say. So, Tori has the greatest sell job of all time. Now, mind you, say you're tasked with having to sell a slap at a funeral home, at your father's funeral, who's not really dead, from your (laughs) fellow worker that's not really your stepmother, who's uh, your age. I think given the circumstances, Tori did wonderfully. (laughs) You have to be a true consummate professional to even 
humor anything like this for weeks, let alone have it build up into the death of your father on television and getting into a fist fight with your mother-in-law who's not even, like, maybe a year or two your senior. Like, this was trashy, hokey wrestling television at its finest, and it is wonderful. And that's what makes it awesome. Oh, my I God. I loved it. Yeah, and probably the greatest selling I've ever seen in my life. Tori Wilson takes a lamp to the back. So, okay, so, yeah, let's continue. So, Tori slaps Dawn back. They get into a brawl. Go back and forth. Tori gets the better of her. She goes back down to Al's casket, gets on a knee, goes, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then, Matt! <laughs> she gets hit with a lamp. Now, what's great about her getting with, hit with a lamp is she doesn't instantly sell it. There's like a five, ten second delay here of her her getting hit with the lamp and then falling to the ground. You know, it kind of looks like when someone gets KO'd in Tech and Chris, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like that hesitation moment. Yeah. So it's the same thing that Toy, Toy just kind of takes a second and then falls to the ground and there's glass shards everywhere. And Paige Black on the funeral. We'll be back with more SmackDown after this. Yeah, I don't know where to go from there, other than the fact that it happened. We remember it. It lives on forever. No. Yes, it does. So if that wasn't bad enough, this is the second last, second to last uh, episode or uh, segment of the last episode of SmackDown before the 2003 Royal Rumble. So we get back from break. And what's the grand conclusion to this storyline, you may ask? Well, I'm glad you asked, Cheryl, listening from Idaho. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so, we get back, and Michael Cole and the Taz have announced that at the Royal Rumble this Sunday, there will be the first ever stepmother versus stepdaughter match. Now, Which mind you... Gross. Like, I feel like the way they sold this and the, the sound of their voice when they pitched this just made it sound like they were reaching out to every... Like, 40-year-old man living in his mom's basement. Like, it was just dirty. Ma'am, are you <laughs> implying that something about this storyline may have been gross and dirty? The whole, I mean, obviously the whole thing was, but I think listening <laughs> them pitch this match sounded like, tune in for stepmother versus stepdaughter action. Like, <laughs> And the funny part is, it's just a regular match. It wasn't even like one of those stupid strip matches they made the Divas do back then. It was just a singles match. I think the only thing that could have made this worse if it was like a spanking match or something stupid because of like the whole like maternal role that Dawn is supposed to play. <laughs> could you imagine the level of growing? Oh that it god, was if there was a paddle on a pole match, I don't know what we would have done. Right, right. Ladies and gentlemen, the first ever timeout match. Yeah. So, not only is this the only women's match on one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year, this is actually the only women's match in years around this time, or one of the only women's matches, I believe Trish and Victoria may have, to receive a video package before the match, like a build-up package. So, we get to the match. So, this is Royal Rumble 2003, Don Marie Wilson, who's announced as Don Marie Wilson versus Tori Wilson. Dawn Marie comes out first in her ring attire, but she's got a special treat over her ring attire. She's wearing a black veil to the ring. Oh, oh ever the widow. 
And then, of course, Tori Wilson comes out wearing all white because she knew Dom couldn't. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then we Won't underwent. The I hear that. I actually love this match. <laughs> so, okay, so here's the primary thing I wanted to talk about with this episode, especially for the time frame. Don Marie was actually a pretty damn good worker. Yeah, I don't know how Don Marie was kept on SmackDown for so long without ever getting anything, like, even close to, like, just, like, maybe one shot at the women's title, or even just, like, humoring us with her going to Raw. Like, probably the most criminally underrated woman on the roster at that time on both brands. She's pulling out, like, single-leg crabs and, uh like corner and zaguris and this stuff and it's like what in the hell now you guys will know this more than i like better than i will is this when she was traveling with um like was she still traveling with lance at the time or was this way after that see i don't know that would be uh, well lance was on raw so yeah lance was on raw and she was on smackdown so this was after that this was after so again going i think we mentioned this last episode or whatever but like she had been on the road with the likes of Lance freaking Storm for so long that it's, there's no denying that she had some secrets and tools up her sleeves. I mean, she was traveling with one of the arguably the greatest, like, technical wrestlers on, on the planet. Like, so when she busts out the single leg crab, you're like, yeah, damn right she was traveling with Lance Storm. Look at that. Like, look what she can do. So um, I think she was kind of a hidden gem for sure. I just... I love this. I love campy soap opera, so I en- I enjoyed it. Tori wins with a neck breaker, I believe, and immediately cries after the match. Uh, lending an end to one of my favorite storylines in wrestling history. By the way, side note, um, during my Diva Dirt days, I wrote an article about this match. We were doing a uh, From the Vault type segment, reviewing different matches on the network when the network first went up. And uh, Natalia actually read my article about Tori Wilson versus John Marie. Really? I still remember that to this day. That's awesome. So, um... I don't know. I want to do, speaking of the Don Marie thing, a bonus episode we're going to look into sometime, a what-if episode. So, from around our time frames, what if different people were on different shows? So, what if Trish Stratus and Sable were on the same show when Sable returned in 2003? Uh, What if Lita was on SmackDown? What if Dawn feuded with Trish? That type of thing. So... I think it'd be a pretty cool concept to walk down the road, maybe do some fantasy booking one time or another. Hell, what if China stuck around? Like, there's all kinds of things out there that you could possibly look at. What if Lita didn't get injured? That's a big one. You know, we've kind of touched on it before. If Lita didn't get injured in 2002, what exactly happens to Trish? So... Oh, God. I never really thought of how many what-ifs there really are, but it deserves its own episode. There's a lot during, like, 02 to 04... Wow, like I, I'm astonished at like how many gems there were from that time, and how many could be gems. That, like, if only, like, that's gonna stick with me now. I mean, whenever we get this uh, what if episode, guys, we're gonna probably need a lot of other what ifs too. I would love to see what people would say on Twitter about some of their what ifs from the golden era. Definitely. And speaking of special episodes, what do we have planned for next month, guys? I know we've been. <laughs> in the talks of something big that we're really excited about. What do we have going on next month? Yeah, so we're looking at doing a bonus episode at the end of this month. Guys, it has been 20 years since this month. 
since China became the first ever woman to win the Intercontinental Championship. So we're going to put a little bit of a list together and look at some of China's greatest all-time moments. It's called China 20 Years of Wonder, and it comes your way on your regular podcast feeds later this month as a special bonus episode of the Golden Era Podcast. And everybody is very excited for this one, and I think one of our co-hosts is a little excited for this as well. Yeah, would so it be anything China-related without the lovely Jake Smith joining us once again? Right, he definitely could sit out this episode, because he needs to prepare for the next one. He's gonna, like, we're all gonna have to, like, fight to get a word in on that one. We, um, we may not even be here the next episode. We may just let Jake do it by himself and just talk into a mic for an hour. He totally could. That's his girl. I mean, here's my thing. Maybe since it's closer to Halloween, if he did some sort of seance on his new house with a Ouija board, maybe China could join him. Oh, God. Jake would die. We, um, I think we've done that enough for one lifetime. (laughs) But it will be fun because, um, it coincides with China returning to the WWE game series in WWE 2K20 for the first time in two decades. And also, um, they are re-merchandising her, so she'll have an action figure coming out shortly. So thank God this is finally the year that China's back in the fold in terms of all things WWE. Are so. we ever going to get Judgment Day 2001 in a figure? Is that the Peacock one? Yep. That's oh, the Peacock have- one. Jake already has one custom made, so oh, even if he doesn't, <laughs> you know. I mean, for God's sake, he, he recreated the Peacock outfit for his wedding. And had an Intercontinental Championship belt buckle, too. Come on. And trust me when I say when that man has her entrance down, I tell you that man has her entrance down. I love it. I love Jake so much. Jake, I know you're going to go back and listen to this episode. I adore you. Jake, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Jake, I'm staying out of these two. (laughs) (sighs) Oh. Well, Jake wait. doesn't just randomly sit on the phone with me at random times of night. No, no, no. Can't stand the dude. <sighs> okay. Yeah, he's okay. You've had better. Uh, little known fact, I have um, actually been doing some wrestling training while watching China matches as of late. No lie. So, um, that was very fun. If you guys I definitely want to go back and talk about the infamous Good Housekeeping match from 1999, because... There was a lot of things in that um, I do not remember China doing a damn diving elbow off the apron onto a table. Yeah. Right. I mean, that match literally so, had everything, including the kitchen sink. Yes. JR's commentary in that is something, by the way. I'll have to go back and watch it and refresh my memory on that one. My God! She just hit him with the kitchen sink! <laughs> Cover off the kitchen sink! Commentary goals. And how we learned that a guitar is not a household item. Damn. Well, it is in Jeff Jarrett's household. I mean, it kind of is in my household, too, but I can understand the sentiment. <laughs> there you go. Oh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's coming up at the end of the month. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at GoldenEra underscore pod. Jose, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me at the Jose Can You See, letters U and C. Or if you want to keep up with some of my reporting stuff I've been doing closing my college career, you can also follow me at Jose MG Live. Love it. Whoever did, whoever did your logo is pretty cool, by the way. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, he has some friends in high places. You know, I'm 100% stratified. Yeah, I guess you could say apparently now he's... Um... 
friends with some bucks that are pretty young or something. Yeah, if you don't know our elite friend Joe at Over by Design, he did also help with our news blog uh, logo as well as at many other logos you see, including the one for our own podcast. Uh, Over by Design, everything. He is Joe is probably one of the best people we know. Yeah. Uh, by the way, shout out to him because for those who don't know, um, this is extremely recent since our last episode. Uh, Joe actually partnered with the Young Bucks and uh, Wrestling Tees to put out a new T-shirt that was sponsored on the world premiere of AEW Dynamite last week. So the man's content has been featured on both major promotions this year, which is unheard of. So congratulations, my friend. And Chastity Taylor, where can we find you on social media? Yes, please follow me on Twitter at Chastity Taylor. Two R's because double R means double sass. Of course. Oh my God, did you copyright that? No, but I totally should. I mean, I didn't jump on and before of course, WWE does because they like to copyright everything. <laughs> And, of course, uh, Chas is a part of PWX Wrestling. You can catch her there as a social media correspondent and occasional ring announcer and interviewer and uh, event host. And did, let's see, did I get everything? I think so this month. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, while he wasn't here in person, he will definitely be here later this month at Jake Isn't Jacob, our good friend Jake Smith. Keep up with his moving endeavors, if he's going to make it to the Lover Tour or not. Who knows? Very busy. We all know the answer to that. It's just a matter of which stops, as in plural, is he going to attend. And uh, as for me, I do nothing in wrestling, so don't follow me. Shut (laughs) up. I I think that DDT is getting to your head. (laughs) If you only knew. Uh, Follow me at Chris Riddle, (laughs) and again, of course, follow the show at GoldenEra underscore pod. For Jose and Chastity Taylor, I'm Chris Riddle. We miss you, Jake, and we'll see you later this month for a special China retrospective. Good night, everybody. Good night.